innovators out there. How are you doing today? It's time for another Singularity Podcast. So gather around, grab your coffee, and hang out with me, Mike Bostwick, for just a little while. You know, I'm playing with my megaphone today because I'm using it in a song that I'm working on right now. And it's, uh, you know, as you can tell, a lot of fun to talk through a megaphone sometimes. And, uh, you know, what's kind of cool is this particular megaphone has some pretty interesting features like this one right here. This is like a little alarm button that it has. Check this out. Yeah, listen to that for like two hours and you'll be climbing the walls. And it also has this other feature. It plays music. Yeah, check this out. That's enough of that. I'll put my megaphone away. Almost 50 years old and I'm still screwing around with stuff like that. (laughs) I'll never grow up. I think I've got Peter Pan syndrome or something. But, you know, it's so much fun to play around with stuff like that in the studio. At least for me it is, you know. And uh, I'm kind of like wondering why a megaphone would need to have... You know, music for Elise, you know, playing to you and <laughs> like for crowd control or something. <laughs> Everybody calm down. We're going to listen to some Beethoven. <laughs> Everybody calm down. We're going to play you some for Elise and you can just chill out. Okay. No riots. <laughs> yeah. I've had that megaphone for a while now. I don't even want to think about how long. Oh, anyway, so what's new with me? Well, what's new with you? Hmm? What's going on? How you been? Getting things done? Working on stuff and kind of living a life? Things going well? For me, I'll tell you what. You know, we're in August now, so we're starting to get closer and closer to my favorite season, which is, of course, autumn. And, uh, you know, the leaves haven't started to turn yet or anything. But the weather has started to cool down quite a bit. And uh, I don't know about you, but, man, I love it. You know, I love it. I don't mind the heat and I don't mind winter. I really don't. You know, I don't mind snow and all that kind of stuff. But there's something about that in-between season, you know, the autumn where uh, it's not too hot, it's not too cold. Um, I don't know, maybe it's some kind of like primal thing, like we're kind of like uh, in the back of our minds preparing for winter, you know, preparing to be, you know, uh, shut in a little bit and kind of, you know, it's like the storm is going to come and we've got to get ready for it, kind of like. And um, the smells, you know, the... the the air has a certain kind of smell, a certain kind of humidity, even, you know, a certain weight to it. 
and uh, the sun shines a little bit differently, it seems. And of course, you know, when the trees start to drop their leaves and turn colors and stuff, I'll, I'll tell you, here in Massachusetts, I mean, it's famous for the leaves in the autumn time. You know, people come from all over the world, really, to see the leaves when they're turning colors here in, in Massachusetts because they're particularly beautiful and there are so many, you know, there are so many trees here in Massachusetts. Um, and I'm sure there are a lot everywhere else. I mean, everywhere else I've been, there seems to be a lot, but there is like a really <laughs> high concentration of trees growing in New England, you know, and, uh, that makes me kind of wonder sometimes a little bit about that whole uh, global warming thing and climate change. And, you know, people are talking about, you know, how, um, you know, we're, we're running out of breathable air and, you know, we're threatening the, the health of the planet and everything. And I don't know. It's like, from my understanding, okay, which is extremely limited, I'll admit it, um, because I'm not like a botanist or a biologist or something. When we breathe in oxygen, okay, we breathe in oxygen that the trees are producing, okay? And when we breathe out, when we exhale, we're breathing out CO2, right? That's what I've been told anyway. I could be wrong, but that's what I remember learning, right? Well, okay, I live in a place where there are so many trees, okay, that, <laughs> you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Anywhere you go in New England, the landscape is covered, I mean, covered with trees. I mean, they're everywhere, right? And... It just doesn't make any sense to me. In fact, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, when I flew to Las Vegas, you know, I'm flying over the continental United States and I'm looking out the window of the plane, of course, and there's trees everywhere. You know, they're everywhere. There are so many trees and they're all producing oxygen. Every single one of them. And I don't know, I just kind of sometimes... I find it really hard to believe in climate change. I guess that's basically the point that I'm trying to make. I know that frustrates a lot of people because they're like, oh, how could you be like that? You know, how could you think that? You know, science has proven that this is a problem and blah. Yeah, you know, I don't have so much faith in that. I really don't. In fact, if I'm to be honest about it, really, when I hear people talking about climate change, it's like, in my opinion, it's like code for population control, you know? Like, there's not enough room for everybody. And, um, you know, we need to, like, change our ways or thin out the herd. You know, you hear, you hear people talk like that. You know, it's, it's population control. When I hear people say, oh, you know, global warming, climate change, I just think, yeah, you want what the Georgia Guidestones want. <laughs> which is what, like uh, 500 million people on the planet or something, you know, which would mean that, you know, they need to like exterminate, you know, 
two-thirds of the population. Yeah, you know, nice. Yeah, we'll start with you and your family, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. Everybody's for population control. Unless it means that they and their family have to go, right? So, like I said, I'm not buying into that whole climate change thing. I really don't. I've tried to, you know, I've researched it a little. And I know what I know from what people have told me, you know. And I know you probably believe in global warming and climate change. I just don't. I just don't. And who cares? (laughs) Nobody cares what I think, right? I hope. (laughs) I hope nobody cares what I think. Oh, anyway, back to that, that idea of the autumn feeling, you know? I just love this time of year where, like, we're getting ready to go into it, you know? And the frost is on the pumpkin, you know? And you can start smelling the fireplaces, you know, in the neighborhood. And the air gets cooler and things kind of get quieter at night, you know? The wind is rattling the leaves. And I just love that that time, you know, Halloween and all that. and uh, Just come to life, you know? I love it. I love it. Nah, I love Christmas too, and Thanksgiving, all those things. I do. I love the 4th of July, you know? I like corn on the cob and swimming in the pool and barbecue and, you know, fireworks, you know, doing all that stuff. I love that stuff too, but nothing beats autumn, in my opinion. And uh, I've written about it. I've talked about it a lot. You know, this thing I call the autumn feeling. You know, there's a feeling that comes with the season. And uh, I feel sorry for people who don't uh, experience all four seasons, you know, because it's really uh, something I don't think I could do without, you know. I know there's some talk still, you know, uh, about my wife and I moving to Las Vegas, you know, that possibility that we might have to move to help out my father-in-law or, you know, whatever. And Oh, you know, I don't mind the idea, really, of moving to the desert because the desert is cool in its own way. There are a lot of aspects to the desert that you just can't get anywhere else or like in any other environment. And it's an environment that I haven't really had too much opportunity to explore. So if I have to move to Las Vegas, if I have no choice, right, um, it wouldn't be so bad. You know, there are some very interesting things about Las Vegas and about the desert and everything. I think I would really miss the turn of the seasons, and I think that it's something that I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be kept away from it for too long, you know, I just love it too much, but yeah, that autumn feeling, you know, do you know what I'm talking about, do you ever get that feeling, you know, it's kind of like when Christmas is coming and you can just kind of feel that feeling, you know, it's like a mood It's a glow, you know, around your existence for that season. I love it. Anyway, so, you know, maybe over the past year or so, uh, my wife and I have been watching a lot of uh, Turner Classic Movies, you know, TCM, the Turner Classic Movie Channel, on cable. And, you know... I have to say, I have been thinking about this a lot, and this idea 
of watching classic films. There are so many things about these films um, that are interesting to me. And I've never been one of those people who was like a big film buff. You know, I don't know a lot about film and stuff. I know some. I know some. And I'm interested enough and intelligent enough to get into it a little bit. But, you know, I'm not one of those people who would like go to film school, you know, and like study that kind of thing. But um, I have an appreciation for those older movies that I guess I didn't really have when I was younger. You know, um, why and like, what am I talking about? Well, you know, I'll give you an example. There was this movie that we watched. It was called um, A Majority of One. And I believe it came out in the 50s. Um, and it starred uh, Alec Guinness, I believe. And um, it was a really good story. Basically, the story of the movie was uh, there's this older woman... Um, she's living in New York City by herself. She's recently widowed, okay? And her daughter and her daughter's husband are going to take her with them to Japan, okay? And this idea is problematic for this older woman because her husband, who was in the military, was killed in World War II, and he was killed in Japan. So... She's prejudiced against the Japanese. And so she's kind of forced, you know, against her will, because she has to go with her daughter and her son-in-law to Japan. And, you know, in comes Alec Guinness. You know, of course, it's kind of funny because he's dressed up like a Japanese guy. But, like, you know, I was saying to my wife while we were watching it, it's like... You know, this is like a movie that was made before they could just have a Japanese actor, you know, play the part. <laughs> it's so silly, you know, because Alec Guinness doesn't look Japanese, okay? Not at all. I mean, they tried, I guess, but, you know, like I said, the world has changed, you know, thank God, right? Um, but nevertheless, Alec Guinness did a great job in the movie despite the makeup. And um, basically what happens is um, a very interesting thing takes place where this older woman kind of meets up with Alec Guinness's character. You know, it's obvious that they're going to become love interests. You know, they're going to fall in love. I mean, I guess that's the, the plot, right? But what's even more interesting is, is that... The daughter and the son-in-law, okay, of this older woman, they kind of treat her like she's stupid. You know, it's like a form of ageism or something, right? Like we get this thing in our head with older people, elderly people, I should say, that they're not intelligent, okay? Like they're dim-witted or like they've lost some of their faculties, you know? their cognitive functioning, you know, due to age. And that's a mistake. It's the myth, and it's not true, okay? And I learned that from my (laughs) father-in-law, okay? 
you know, because my father-in-law is a really extremely intelligent guy. But anyway, this movie is kind of illustrating the difference between how American children regard their elders and how the Japanese children regard their elders. And they're two very different things. Okay. Um, the American youngsters tend to be condescending and dismissive of the elderly. And the Japanese youngsters in this movie, okay, tend to revere their elders and go to them for advice and hold them in high esteem and high regard, okay? And that may not sound like a big deal or something, okay? But you don't see a lot of that kind of thing in modern films. You just don't. Like, addressing things on that level, right? Um, you get superficiality now in, you know, these movies that are, like, really about stupid things, like, really stupid movies. I mean, I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have been, you know, scrolling through the movies that are available for us to watch, okay? And they're so terrible. I mean, they're, like, so stupid. There is no shortage of stupid movies available to the public. And, you know, I don't know how much you know about filmmaking, okay? But I do know a little bit. Having been in a couple of films myself and having actually, you know, made music for some films as well, okay? Um, there's a lot of money behind these movies. Like, if you see a movie available on cable or something for you to watch... There's a budget behind that movie. I mean, we're talking a lot of money sometimes. And they're still, regardless of how much money is spent, they're really stupid movies. Like, they're terrible ideas, you know? Um, do you know what I mean? Do you even agree with me? You may or may not, but you know, this is something I kind of have been, you know, thinking about a lot because, you know... Night after night, you know, we're scrolling through something to watch and, oh my gosh, like some of these movies are so dumb. Like, I can't believe somebody funded that, you know? What a stupid idea. I mean, I'm constantly thinking of movie plots. I mean, I could rattle off five of them for you right now. That would be better than half that crap that's available, you know? So, you know, hence, my wife and I have turned to Turner Classic Movies, right? We're going back now to this time where film was different and the world was different. And what was considered important was different. So, it's interesting, isn't it? Do you, do you see why it's interesting to me? And, okay, and... One of the things I've noticed about modern films that I don't like, and you may or may not agree, well, actually, there's a few things. One, I'm, like, sick of comic book movies, okay? Like, I don't know. <sighs> oh. Comic books are fine, you know? Uh, 
I had a lot of friends growing up who were really into that kind of thing, right? And I understand that, and that's cool. And now those friends of mine, you know, that were kids going to the comic book store, well, they're adults now, and they're not just like interns or working at film companies. They're like the guys who own the companies now, you know? So we have this massive wave of comic book films because they're successful, because people like them, but probably mostly because the generation that I grew up in is now in charge, and they're deciding what films are going to be made. And they grew up with X-Men, and they grew up with uh, Hellboy, and they grew up with Superman and Batman and Spider-Man, right? I was never really into that, you know? Like, um, I'm not one of those guys who, like, is really into Star Wars, you know? Like, I'm just not. I'll probably never go to Comic-Con, you know? I'll probably never participate in that. I'm not interested in that, you know? So, like, now, like, if you want to see a film that's, you know, a blockbuster-type film, it's going to be a comic book character kind of situation, and... I don't know. I mean, it's great, you know, three, four, or five times, but come on, change the record. I mean, somebody please start making different movies, right? And um, another thing about modern film that I don't really like, that I've, I mean, it's just all the time, you know, um, they edit the films and they make the films in such a way where they're like fast paced. You know, um, you don't even have a chance to really register what's happening on the screen and they cut to something else. Like, it's just cut, 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 cut. Like, machine gunning, you know, shots of film into your eyes, you know? And there's no real, like, tempo or pace. It's just, like, a video game. And I think that's why... That is the way it is, is because they're trying to make films that appeal to young kids who are used to video games and stuff like that. And, you know, that, that fast edit kind of thing, you know, high energy, uh, you know, fast paced footage or uh, content, right? So it's like, for me anyway... Okay, I'm almost like 50 years old. For me, it's kind of like annoying, you know? Like, I get it. Like, I get that you want to express in your film that action is taking place and it's high energy, right? But you don't even give me a chance to, like, understand what is happening. It's being edited so quickly. It's being fired at me so quickly that I don't even really know what's going on. And... Subsequently, after about, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, I don't really care anymore. Next movie, you know? And I guess it speaks to that whole thing. I, I've talked about it before where, you know, uh, you know, there's this generation of people, myself included, who still like to watch films and still like to find new music and you know, we're not dead, you know, we're alive, we're still, you know, actively, you know, participating in pop culture, 
you know, we're still here. And there's really not a whole lot of content that's made for us. There's a huge gap, folks. I mean, let me tell you, I can see it, I can see it, and I can feel it, and I know it, okay? There is a huge gap in the market. And man, if you're out there listening to this, you're like a 50-something-year-old, you know, 40-something-year-old, or even 30-something-year-old filmmaker, Man, you have a window that you can fill. You have a gap that you could just flood with films that are made for people who don't play video games all day, you know, and and don't read comic books, you know. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's it. You know what I'm saying? You, You have to know what I'm saying, right? I mean, you may disagree, but you can't deny it, right? I mean, a lot of the times it's just like, I don't even, I'm not interested. I'm not interested, you know? Um, you know, for years I had to resort to stuff like documentary films just because it was like, you know, it had some level of intelligence and logic and, you know, uh, you know, was made for adults, <laughs> you know? <laughs> People who want to think about stuff. Figure things out, you know. Um, but I guess that's silly too. I mean, you know, I, you know, part of the the fun, I guess, of music and films and books and all that kind of stuff is the escapism, right? But uh, you know, what am I even talking about? What am I even talking about? I don't know. It's just how I feel. Anyway, back to this idea, okay? One more thing I don't like about modern film, okay, is that, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but maybe for the past 10 or even 15 or 20 years, okay, there's been like this trend in filmmaking where they put like these filters on the film so that it like darkens the film. And a lot of the movies that are coming out now are really dimly lit and dark, you know? And the best example I can think of, in case you're trying to figure out what I'm talking about, okay, there's a movie called um, Sleepy Hollow, okay? Fantastic film, a masterpiece, okay? Literally, I think it's a masterpiece. Tim Burton, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. It's amazing, okay? And better than any book about Sleepy Hollow, Okay, in my opinion, uh, the film is a masterpiece. But the next time you watch it, pay attention to the darkness of every single shot in that film, except for the handful of maybe one, two, or three different shots where it's brightly lit. But for the majority of the film, it's like dark. And a lot of the films that are made nowadays are dark. And one of the biggest differences between modern film and these Turner Classic films, especially the Technicolor films, is that they're brightly lit. And the colors are brilliant. You know, the palette of color is so beautiful. And I mean, to look at, it's like easy on the eyes to see it, you know? Um, you know who's really good at that in uh, 
modern film, okay, who's really good with use of color, in my opinion, is Woody Allen. You know, I don't know if you've watched any of the films that Woody Allen has put out in maybe the past 10 or 15 years, okay? But when you watch his newer films, the ones that have come out in the past 10 or 15 years, his use of color and light and shade is so masterfully done. I mean, the stories are good. The acting is always good. The plots are always good. But we're talking about cinematography today, right? And he is a master at that. I mean, I watch his films and the shots, the colors, the light, you know, the way he sets it up and the way he's using that camera lens, the way he's sculpting what you see, you know, uh, vivid colors and great, rich colors. And uh, you just don't see it done like that too much nowadays. There are a handful. and But I would say the best example I could think of is Woody Allen. Oh my gosh. He has a film, actually, it's called A Midnight in Paris, I believe. And, you know, for you happy innovators out there that are listening to me say that title right now, you're nodding your heads because that film is amazing. Okay, the story is great. The acting is great. It's contemporary. It's modern. You know, it's not old fashioned. But he, uh, you know, I won't I won't spoil the movie for you, but do yourself a favor and watch a Midnight in Paris by Woody Allen, okay? And pay attention to the colors. Pay attention to the light, you know? And then compare it to any other film that's coming out right now. And you'll see it's like so different, you know? And like I was saying, what I was alluding to with these Turner Classic Films is like, you know, the, a lot of these films are like the era of Technicolor, you know? where they were just coming out of black and white and color was a big deal, you know? And you can see it, you can see it in these films, you know? Um, the storylines are better, even. They're, they're more interesting, even though they're older. In fact, sometimes it's like, it's more interesting um, because they're older. And I'll tell you why, because there's a lot of things that have changed since, you know, a film that was made in 1950 or 1960. There's a lot of things that have changed socially, economically, uh, geopolitically. I mean, so much has changed. So you kind of get like a window uh, back in time to what was acceptable and what was, you know, normal behavior, you know. How did women conduct themselves? What was acceptable? You know, how did young men conduct themselves? What was acceptable? Do you follow me? It's a really interesting thing to kind of think about. It really is. Um, at least to me it is, you know, and I, like I said, my wife and I have just been kind of, you know, going through once in a while, you know, these Turner classic films 
for a while now, probably about a year, maybe more, maybe more now. But um, it's fantastic. It really is. I mean, every once in a while, you'll get a film that's kind of stupid, you know, and uh, not made well or something, and it's a classic or something. But every once in a while, probably more often than not, we stumble across a film uh, you know, and we'll just give it a shot, give it a test, you know, we'll just give it a shot, uh, and, uh, we're surprised, you know, we're stunned, you know, we have this thing, we call it the five minute rule, we'll start watching a film for five minutes, and it, within five minutes, if we're not interested anymore, ain't next film, right, you'd be surprised how often my wife and I will, you know, go past the five minutes, but we're engaged, you know, we're in the film, we're into the story, very masterfully done. We just saw a film actually last night with Audrey Hepburn and Richard Crenna when he was really young. Um, I forget what it was called. Wait Until Dark, I think the name of the film was. Oh, it's a shame I don't remember the name. Anyway, um, great. What a great story for a film, you know? It was done really well for that time. You know, it was done really well. Of course, you know, a lot of things have changed since that movie was made. But, you know, there again, it leads me to this idea, like, why don't young filmmakers see that film and go, that can be done now like that that movie can be revisited and redone that plot could be done again and done really well in a modern context with modern cinematography right you know i guess you know sometimes i wonder if i get overly passionate about this kind of stuff because you know maybe i don't know normal people don't really care that much about film and cinematography and stuff like that and you know I mean it's not like I've devoted my life to it but I do care about it I I care about what I see and what I hear I care about music and film and art like that matters to me you know I'm still thirsty for new stuff you know I'm always looking for new stuff and I guess it's just kind of like a bummer in a way that um you know, when I want to see a new film that'll really blow me away, I can't. I can't really find one. Every once in a while, I'll find one. You know, a newer film, it's like, wow, that was actually really good. I can't believe it was as good as it was, you know. But most of the time, uh, it's just like, who paid for this? <laughs> like, whose idea was like Ninja Cat, you know, like, I don't know going on in this world you know like why did someone fund that movie um i don't know i just don't understand it i never will i never will um i don't know (laughs) i don't know i'm gonna grab a sip of coffee here take a breath you know Mm-mm-mm. Coffee. I love coffee. Anyway, that film, uh, 
wait until dark. I'll, I'll give you the plot really quick, just in case you are interested in checking it out. Okay. Basically, what the story is, is that there's these drug dealers, okay, in Europe, and they store a bunch of heroin inside of this doll, okay? And the doll is on an airplane with this woman, and she's going overseas to America to deliver this doll, okay? And uh, when she's getting off the airplane in the United States, she sees, like, some guy that's, like, going to hurt her or take her, take the drugs or something. So she takes the doll and she gives it to this guy that she traveled with on the plane and she just asks him to hold the doll for her, okay? And uh, so then the story begins, okay? Uh, and Audrey Hepburn, okay, is married to the guy who now has the doll, okay? And these drug dealers are trying to get the doll. Like, they want the doll back so they can, you know, sell the drugs, right? Uh, 1960s, this movie came out, okay? And uh, the twist in the plot is, is that Audrey Hepburn is blind, okay? And all things considered, I mean, Audrey Hepburn did a great job of acting like she was blind. I mean, it was, I mean, it was pretty well done. And, of course, she's gorgeous, you know. Um, I mean, Audrey Hepburn, you know. <laughs> beautiful, you know. Um, so, there's the plot, okay. A blind woman has this doll. Her husband is kind of, like, gone, you know. And these drug dealers are coming to her apartment in New York City to get this doll. And I'll let you watch the story to f see what happens. But um, it was just a really interesting thing. It's one of those films that we stumbled across. And it's like, you know what? I'd watch it again. I would watch it again. And, you know, of course, you know, because it's really nice to watch Audrey Hepburn running around. I mean, I guess we could take a minute to talk about that a little, right? You know? I mean, Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> wow. You know, this woman... You know what's funny is, I'll tell you a little funny story. You know, growing up in my house, when I was a little kid, my father wouldn't swear. He didn't, he didn't cuss. He does now that we're older, you know, and we can talk and stuff, talk openly. And he'll drop, you know, the S and the Fs and, the, you know, not so much the Fs. That's not true. I don't, my father doesn't drop F-bombs too much, but... When we were younger, instead of swearing, okay, my father would say Toyota, okay? So, like, instead of saying, like, holy shit, I can't believe that, okay? He would go, Toyota, I can't believe that, you know? <laughs> and, you know... <laughs> I still say it. <laughs> you don't know how many times I've been doing this podcast and I had to stop myself, okay, from saying, Toyota, you know, I can't believe that because, you know, you wouldn't understand 
what I was talking about, but it's kind of funny because my wife knows my father really well. She's known him for years before her and I got together, you know, um, and so she says it too. <laughs> we both do. We'll both, you know, instead of, you know, dropping an F-bomb or <laughs> some other expletive, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll say Toyota, you know. <laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> Only in my house. <laughs> Toyota. So, hey, now that I've given you the explanation, maybe I'll say it in the future. You know, I won't hold back you know, my Toyotas from you. Oh, anyway, so I guess I've bloviated enough for a day, you know? Another Singularity podcast talking about films, you know? But this stuff matters, doesn't it? I mean, it matters to me. It matters to me, you know? And who knows, maybe somewhere down the line, I don't know. I've been making a lot of videos, you know? I've been shooting videos and setting up shots and lighting and camera angles and kind of trying to think of a new thing and a new way and trying to make it happen, you know? Maybe, maybe, somewhere down the line, I'll try my hand at actually shooting a film. I have thought about it. My wife has always told me, oh, you should do it, you should do it, you know? I'm like, Toyota, I can't make a film. No, but I, I might, I might, who knows? Something to think about. Anyway, so my happy innovators, until next time, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy.